God's word this morning is the book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hands. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We've never read an entire book for a scripture reading in one Sunday. We did this morning. Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, that uh, the words of my mouth and uh, the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you here this morning. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I can remember uh, when I was in my early 20s, my girlfriend, who is uh, now my wife, and I had been dating uh, for several years, and I knew it was was time for us to to get married, and it was time for me to propose, and uh, I'd met her family several times, and and everything seemed to to go really well uh, when I had met them, Uh, but I felt before I proposed that it was important that uh, I get their blessing. So I nervously called them on the phone and uh, asked if I could meet them in person. I didn't want to have to do that over the phone. Uh, But of course, at the time, they were uh, living in New Jersey and I was living in Baltimore. So uh, we agreed to meet halfway. And uh, uh, we met in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I think it was at a Friendly's. I don't remember what I ate uh, because I was really nervous. But it was in Allentown, uh, Pennsylvania. And I asked for their uh, blessing on our engagement. Uh, I was pretty confident going into it that they would say yes, but it was a long drive. 
And uh, as I was driving to Allentown, Pennsylvania, I began to start thinking, have I, have I made a good enough impression? Uh, do they like me enough to give away their daughter? After all, what I was about to ask them was a very, very big ask. Our, uh, our passage this morning is all about that. It's all about the big ask. Uh, this morning we read the entire book of Philemon, and that book is all about a very personal and very big request. We've all probably been at that place before where we've asked someone a big ask, where uh, it's, we've asked them a, a favor, a big favor that we know is going to cost them something, cost them something significant. And we often wonder whether we've kind of built up enough relational capital. That's a term out there, relational capital, in order for us to be able to cash in on this big favor that we are about to ask them. Well, that's what this letter is all about. The letter of Philemon is this is small book. It's this piece of correspondence that's tucked in to the back of the New Testament. And in it, Paul asks a very massive favor from a man named Philemon. And it is a favor that will actually cost him very dearly. And what we see in the process is just yet another picture of the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ and how it radically transforms the everyday relationships of our lives. The book of Philemon is often attached to the book of Colossians, which is why we're, we're looking at it today after having wrapped up a series on uh, the book of Colossians. And part of the reason of that is because uh, Philemon was a member of that church. He was a resident of the city of Colossae. But the other reason is because it really builds on, on the message of the book of Colossians. It really helps us to clarify uh, the message that Paul is sharing to the Colossian church. The greater message of really both of the books is that the gospel is not simply an intellectual exercise. Sure, there are things that we have to know about the gospel. There are facts, there's history, there's pieces of that that we have to know. But at its core, the gospel is a heart of faith that places its trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And what Colossians talks about is when the gospel radically transforms a life, it ends up having ripple effects. It affects people, it affects families, it affects churches and communities, and it affects all sorts of different social structures because it introduces a new kingdom with a new set of kingdom values. And it affects even the interpersonal relationships that you and I traffic in every single day. This morning what we see is how the gospel affects or affected one particular broken relationship between two men. And what it does is it gives us insight on how the gospel not only affects relationships, but how it affects some of the hardest relationships that we have to deal with in life. And we really see this story kind of in three chapters. We see a heartfelt appeal, we see a a needed intercession, and at the end we get a clear picture on the cost of forgiveness. The first thing we see uh, really is this heartfelt appeal or this big ask that comes from the Apostle Paul. It's an interesting book because Paul writes with a lot of strategy. He writes with a lot of tact and he uses kind of a lot of 
uh, flattery or, or uh, a flowery language as he writes to Onesipus. But at the end, the, the request is very simple. And you see it in verse 17, where Paul says, Receive him, receive Onesimus, as you would receive me. Now, why did Paul have to write this? Why did he have to pen this letter? And, and even a bigger question is, why is it included for us in the scriptures? Well, what we can figure out is that there was a huge breach between two men. We don't know uh, all the specifics of their argument. We don't know, uh, uh, and, and in fact, there's a lot of debate as to what the specifics really are. And we can't know for sure because we really only see kind of one side of the conversation. That happens when you only read one side of a letter. But there are some things we can kind of piece together by looking closely at this letter. And one of the things we piece together is that Onesimus was most likely Philemon's slave. He was uh, indebted or he was a bondservant or he was a slave to Philemon, but he was a runaway slave. At some point, Onesimus decided he no longer wanted to serve Philemon, and so he ran away. And most likely in the process of him running away, it appears that he stole from his master Philemon. Now, this idea of slavery uh, is something we interact with when we look at the scriptures, and it was a common practice in uh, the ancient world. <clears throat> it was different than kind of the history of slavery that, that we've interacted with in our culture, which is much more defined by race than it was in the ancient world. But just because it was different doesn't mean it was no less brutal. In fact, it was incredibly brutal in the ancient world to To be a slave uh, meant that you were basically physical property of your master. When you became a slave, you suffered a sort of civil death where all your civil rights as a person were taken from you. Uh, Aristotle, the philosopher, called a slave a living tool. They were considered to be property. They were considered to be possessions. And they, were not, uh, they didn't own their own time. They didn't own their own labor. And shockingly, they didn't even own their own children. If a child was born to a slave, it became the immediate possession of its master. They, of course, were uh, subject to all sorts of abuse. They could be subject to emotional abuse, physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse, and they were not protected by laws because they were considered to be only a possession. So if a master was cruel in the ancient world, to be a slave was just an absolutely awful existence. And for many, the only way of escape, if they didn't want to suffer at the hands of their master, the only way of escape was to run away. But even that experience was not a great alternative. That was a hard experience in and of itself because a runaway slave meant that you had to live like a fugitive, always in fear that you could be caught And if you were caught, there was all sorts of punishments that could happen to you as a runaway slave. You could be whipped severely. Uh, There's stories of people being branded on their face. If they were caught after being run away, they could put you in chains or uh, force you to wear some sort of collar. Your legs could be broken. Uh, You could be sent to work in the mines. And uh, if it was up to your master, you could even be sentenced to death by being a runaway slave. 
So all these punishments, all these thoughts had to hang over Onesimus's head after he ran away from Philemon's home. If he was caught, any number of these things could happen to him. Yet what we figure out from the story is after Onesimus ran away from his master Philemon, after he'd run away from his home, he ended up meeting a man who was named Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And in the process, Paul introduced him to another man whose name was Jesus. And when Onesimus met Jesus Christ in a very powerful way, everything about his life changed. Onesimus went from being defined as a fugitive to now being defined as a child of God. He went from being estranged with no home to being a person who was adopted and enfolded. And in fact, what the passage tells us is this criminal, this fugitive, ended up becoming very close to the Apostle Paul. This prodigal son became very dear, very precious to Paul himself. You read about it in verse 11. So much so that Paul no longer considered Onesimus to be a slave. He started to speak to him as if he was a son. And Paul writes in verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. The two had become very close to one another. But you see, just because Onesimus was now a Christian, it didn't mean that he was exempt from hard things. In fact, he would have to face the broken relationships of his past. You see, the gospel never teaches us to run away from hard things or from broken relationships. In fact, it tells us often to do the opposite. It tells us to move towards them, to move towards the mess of those relationships and often the mess of our pasts as well. Onesimus needed to move towards his old master Philemon. But Paul didn't send him off to do it on his own. Instead, Paul offers intercession. He sends him away with this handwritten letter that contains this big ask or this big favor on Paul's part. And we see the next part of our story, which is a very needed intercession. You see, we don't know all the particulars, but we can only uh, imagine what this would have looked like. Onesimus had to go on a long journey, and he had to take this long journey to, to see his old master and to face the music of his past. He must have been fearful. He must have been full of anxieties, wondering what could happen. He must have been fearful of the punishment that he knew he deserved for what he had done. But his only hope, his only saving grace is he carried with him a letter. And that letter was from the Apostle Paul himself. And that letter had to carry all the hopes of of Onesimus that somehow this situation could be made right. Because after all, this was a big ask. Paul is asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to receive him. He's asking Philemon to forgive the debt that was owed to him because of Onesimus' theft. He even seems to hint uh, in verse 21 that Philemon would actually release Onesimus from being his slave. 
He says, don't treat him like a slave anymore. Instead, treat him as a beloved brother. He says in verse 16. You see, what, what Paul is doing here is he is acting as an intercessor. An intercessor is one. It's a person who goes in between. One who steps in the gap between two parties that are in conflict with one another and seeks to bring reconciliation among those two parties. In the end of the day, what Paul is doing is he is playing the role of Jesus in this relationship. You see, the gospel tells us that in our sin, we, all of us, have offended a holy God. And because of our sin, we're like Onesimus spiritually. We're like spiritual runaway fugitives. We've become enemies of God in our sin, enemies who are awaiting his just wrath, his his punishment that we deserve because of our sins. But what the gospel tells us is it tells us that Jesus stepped in the gap. Jesus was the one who made intercession and through his sacrifice, we who were alienated can now be adopted as sons and daughters. We who were fugitives can now be called beloved. You see, what Paul does is he plays the role of Jesus in this story. But in the process, he doesn't sugarcoat forgiveness the way you and I often sugarcoat uh, forgiveness. What he does is he recognizes that there is a cost to this forgiveness. He recognizes the costliness of forgiveness. See, in verse 18, what Paul does is pretty, is pretty significant. He volunteers to have Onesimus' debt placed in his ledger. He volunteers and says, any debt that Onesimus may owe to you, put that debt on me instead of Onesimus. You see, what Paul is doing is Paul is voluntarily uh, putting himself out there, being willing to absorb the cost of Onesimus' sin. C.S. Lewis famously said that, that we can all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. And we all know that's, that's true from our experience. Paul also realized that, and he realized that it was going to cost something to Philemon for him to forgive Onesimus. You see, Philemon was obviously a man of considerable wealth, And he was a man of of considerable status. And in ancient society, status was often defined by possessions. For one, to have slaves uh, made them in in a certain strata of, of society. And the more slaves you had, the more higher you went on the societal ladder. So what Paul is actually asking Philemon to do is to give up on his status to voluntarily knock himself down the social ladder in their culture. He's asking for Philemon's sense of justice that we all feel whenever we've been wronged. He's asking for Philemon's sense of justice to be trumped by an incredibly beautiful act of grace. Imagine the the amount of humility that would be required for Philemon to call a slave 
who had wronged him, now a beloved brother in Jesus Christ. You see, even forgiving Onesimus would have had all sorts of greater repercussions for Philemon. Because if Philemon showed enormous grace by forgiving and freeing Onesimus, what would all of his other slaves now think? What would they think about witnessing this act of grace? What would happen if it appears that Philemon was rewarding someone who stole from him and ran away and now is rewarded with freedom? See, Paul is willing to absorb cost, but he also understands that this was going to cost Philemon substantially as well. And what you see in this story is the case of two innocent parties absorbing the cost for another person's offense. We see a criminal and a fugitive in the process becoming a beloved brother. Martin Luther, a great character from church history, one of the fathers of of the Reformation, said that the gospel is all about what he called a wondrous exchange. It's an exchange where an innocent party suffered the debt so that one who was estranged could be forgiven and become beloved. 2 Corinthians 5 says this about Christ. He said, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the forgiveness of your sins and the forgiveness of my sins came at a great cross, at great cost. The innocent one suffered so that you and I could be reconciled to God, the person that we'd become estranged to. And this is what the gospel means to you and me. Great forgiveness that came at a great cost. This is such a picture of the incredible grace that God pours into our lives. But friends, you and I, we are not just intended to be recipients of that grace. We're not just intended to consume all the goods of that grace and somehow hoard that grace for ourselves. But instead, friends, if we have experienced the gift of God's grace, know that you and I are called to be Jesus to others. To share that grace with those people that God puts in our path. Even the hardest of relationships that God puts in our path. Think of that person who has offended you. That person who has hurt you. Think of that person that if you see them walking down the street in your direction, you either duck into a store or you turn around and walk in the other direction. Think of that person that has hurt you so deeply that you just don't think in your own strength you will ever be able to recover from what they have done to you. Think of that friend or relative that you haven't spoken of in years and you're okay with that. Think about that coworker who you don't want to do anything with and you do everything you can to avoid. And then when you think of that person, think of Jesus Christ who in his grace gave everything for you. 
And then I think you will find, just like Philemon found in this story, the grace and the strength to forgive others. And this is the power of the gospel to transform relationships, even the hardest relationships in our lives. Let's pray.